Amen. Isn't that awesome? We get to celebrate and serve this God who is a way maker, a miracle worker, and it is a joy to come together this morning to celebrate that. So good morning. Thank you. Hey, we got a couple out here that are alive and awake. That's great. Um, and I'm just going to pretend that you're not watching the people behind me setting that up and that you're actually, actually listening to me. Um, but we're going to get started. And I want to welcome you here this morning. Uh, if this is your first time here at Mannheim, we welcome you. We are excited to have you here with us um, this morning. And I have to be honest, as we were uh, looking at the, the preaching calendar and the schedule, and I saw that I was going to be preaching in March, I had to do the first thing first, and that was to check and make sure I was not preaching on daylight savings time. And I did not want that, so thankfully I survived that. But this is your one-week notice, that next Sunday that will be daylight saving time, and you have to check your, your watches and your clocks and make sure that you've moved them not to miss that service, and we get to lose a little sleep. But that's next week, so we're excited not to do that for this week. Well, this morning, uh, we're in this series called Ironic Blessings, and over the last couple weeks, we've been going through the scripture and, and different stories where, where God has used maybe moments that uh, we would have thought wouldn't have worked out the way they did, or um, he's done some stuff that's like, that's not how we would have done it, and then in a weird way, used that as a blessing in only the way God can. And this morning, we're kind of shifting that series just a little bit towards what was already kind of mentioned up on the stage with the start of Lent and kind of starting to focus it towards this story of, of the cross. Um, and really, it's a story that's filled with ironic blessings. Through Jesus' journey all the way to the cross, there's countless times where that comes through. And so this morning, we get to, to shift towards that um, just a little bit and focusing on that story of God sending his one and only son to live this perfect life, right? To live this perfect, sinless life for each one of us because he took it to the cross and he died for our sins and he didn't stay on the cross, but three days later he rose from the grave and we celebrate that and the ironic blessings that really come out of that. And so this is the start of that time where we start reflecting and, and traditionally this is the time, as was mentioned with Lent, is of giving something up. Right, as we prepare to, to focus on the cross and what, what that means for each one of us, it's this time of preparing our hearts to get right. And so of giving something up. And uh, this morning I titled our, our sermon, this, this whole title of, What is God Asking of You? All right, what is God asking of me? What is God asking of us to maybe give up? Because the reality is, giving up something that we like is hard. Right? Giving up something that we value is hard to do. Um, the other day, well, this was a couple weeks ago actually, um, a group of us were headed to Atlanta, Georgia. We were headed down there for a conference and we were driving through the night and we got, so it was morning time, we were standing up stop for breakfast and so we stopped at Dunkin' Donuts. All right, and as we stopped there, like, I love a sausage, egg, and cheese on an English muffin it's just perfect. A little bit of pepper jack cheese, and we're good to go. So we walk in there, and I'm standing there, and I look up across the board, and I don't see my sausage sandwich up there. And I was like, well, that's weird. This is South Carolina. Maybe they do things different down here. But I didn't see it. But then as I went up to order, I looked up, and I saw what I thought was what I wanted. And it said, beyond sausage sandwich. 
And I was like, whoa, they do things even beyond what I really wanted. So South Carolina must be pretty cool. So I walk up to the counter and I was like, hey, what is this beyond sausage sandwich that you have up there? I'm thinking maybe it's, oh, it's two sausage patties. It's extra cheese. Like, you know, this is more than what you could have imagined. So I, I got up there, I was like, so yeah, what is, what is this beyond sausage sandwich that you have? The kind lady behind the counter looks at me and she goes, oh, that's our plant-based no-meat sausage. I, I was like, you're what? <laughs> I said, she says, that's our plant-based no-meat sausage. I was like, oh, okay, not what I had in mind at all. And I'm not here to make fun of you if you like plant-based, non-meat, meat um, sausage. Like, that's fine. But for me, I was like, I'm not giving up my sausage sandwich for a plant-based, no-meat, meat, whatever they want to call it. I was like, I'm not doing that. So I was ready to order my double-decker sausage sandwich that I thought I was going to get in the first place. But I liked the sausage sandwich. I wasn't going to give it up. And maybe some of us, why it's, it's hard to start maybe exercising. We're committed. You know what? We're going to start exercising. But to exercise, I have to give up something else. Time, right? I have to maybe get up early. So I have to give up my sleep. Well, I don't want to do that. Or I have to go out late. Well, I don't want to give up my movie watching. So I'm not going to do that. And so we don't like giving things up. Because another thing, as I already mentioned, we don't need to give up is our sleep. And I'm going to put a picture up on the screen. This was from two Friday nights ago. We had our 7th and 8th grade lock-in. And this is our, our group photo before the night while we were all still smiling and happy. Um, but what I wanted to point out out there, there was 24 volunteer leaders that gave up a night of sleep. All right, to come out there, to run around with a bunch of junior hires, to do crazy things. Um, but it was amazing. They were willing to give up something that they valued for this greater cause. And I thank you so much for them, and I think we should give our volunteers a round of applause for being willing to do that. They are an amazing group, and we are so blessed to have so many amazing volunteers. So what is it for you? What is it for you that you value and hold on to that it would be really hard to give up? Maybe it's your comfort. Maybe it's a certain lifestyle. Is it control? How about finances, right, your phone? All right, please don't give up my phone. And <laughs> take anything else, but don't take my phone. Maybe it's social media, video games. The list could go on and on. All right, and we could also get a list of things that we were easy to give up, right? Uh, for these next 40 days, uh, two weeks ago, I just started online college, going after my degree. For these next 40 days, I would gladly give up homework, right? Gladly give that as a sacrifice. As mentioned, we were already giving up cooked carrots and other stuff, so we would easily give up some things, and those things don't have value to us. But what about those things that we actually have value? So over these next 40 days with Lent, there's a tradition of giving something up, and maybe some of you have already done that, but this morning I want to look at something that goes beyond just those 40 days. Beyond just this time leading up to the cross of what is maybe something that God has asked you to kind of let go of, to give up, and maybe we're holding on to it really, really tight. And this morning I want to look at what would it look like to let go of that. And so for our scripture this morning, we're going to be going through a lot of scripture. So we're going to put it on the screen um, so you don't have to be flipping through all the time. But we are headed to the Old Testament back in Genesis to a story that I love. I love this story of, of Abraham. And if we can only do a bit of the story, we can't do the whole thing for time's sake. And so we're all just going to focus on a small 
section of the story of Abraham and his call to give something up. So if you want, you can turn there. It's also going to be on the screen. And it's Genesis chapter 22 is where we're going to start. And we're just going to dive right in to this story. And it says this, says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will show you. So we just dove right in. This got serious really quick. And I want to throw out a little bit of a, a spoiler alert just in case this is a new story to you. All right, he doesn't actually sacrifice his son, so you can relax, and we're going to get to that part of the story. All right, but I wanted to put that out there just in case this may be new. But we see God say, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac. And it says, the, the son that you love, I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. And so we look at that, and, and as you're a parent in the room, obviously you could say, like, Abraham would value Isaac just strictly to the fact that he's his son. Right, that there'd be high value to that. But we're going to stop at that point in the story, leave it there, and go back and give some history of why there was so much value to that son, Isaac. And so we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 15, um, a little before this, and kind of lead up to that part of the story. And so Genesis 15, 1 through 6, it says this. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram. So Abram was his name first. God changed it later to Abraham. So this is still why he was Abram. It says, The Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and, reward you, and your reward will be great. But Abraham, Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you have given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own and who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and, and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So we come onto this scene where Abram is inside, maybe in his tent, having a little bit of a pity party of himself. Like, right, God, like, you say my reward's going to be great, but I don't even have a son. Like, you're going to make me give my heir to my servant. And he's kind of having this little pity party on himself, and God says, no, that's not the case. Like, I'm going to have, you are going to have a son. And by this time, Abraham is old in age, all right, too old for him to be thinking I'm going to be having a kid. So at this point, he's given up on that. And he's like, God... I know you say my rewards would be great, but I don't even have a son. So you kind of see he's a little kind of down on himself, but God promises him he's going to have one. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if something starts taking too long, if you get impatient, and when we get impatient, we start taking things into our own hands, right? We start wanting to just do it ourselves. And maybe God's told you something or promised something, and it hasn't come true yet. So you start to get a little nervous. So we start doing things our own. And maybe it's like a project, all right, the project's taking too long. All right, so you, you uh, take things into your own hands and you start cutting corners a little bit, right? You start doing things your own way just to speed things up. Okay, maybe, or you're like 20 and you're really wanting to be dating somebody, 
right? You really want to specific. So you're at 20 years old. You're, God, I know you're going to provide somebody perfect for me. So your list of standards that you want to date somebody is about this long, right? You have all these lists, and all of a sudden you're 25 and still single. All of a sudden that list does what? Gets shorter and shorter. And then you're soon like, God, as long as they're my age, I'm good. Let's go. Um, I'll, I'll date them. Like, we start taking things into our own hands. And we, we normally, when we take things into our own hands, things don't always end up so well. Well, we see Abram, and we're not going to read it, but that's what he does. They're, they don't have a son. And so his wife comes to him and says, hey, let me just give you our servant. Be with her. Ha- let's just have a kid through them. I'm too old. So they take things into their own hands. And they have, he has a son through his servant. That's not what God had promised him. All right, and so we go move on to Genesis chapter 17. At verse 15, it says, Then God said to Abraham, his now name has been changed to Abraham, and he says, Regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of a hundred, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. So Ishmael is the son that he had through his servant. Okay, so Abraham saying, God, just may Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, no. Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. And you will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. So we see Abraham say, hey, hey God, I'm giving you an out. Just use Ishmael. All right, he's already born. I'm almost 100. My wife's 90. Like, here's your out. Just use Ishmael. And God says, no, that's not what I told you. That's not the promise I gave you. You will have a son, and you will name him Isaac. And then for the first time, we get Sarah's view of this. Abraham's wife, there's this little kind of weird interaction between Sarah and God, and it's in Genesis chapter 18, verses 9 through 15. Abraham's sitting there, and they have some visitors come to them. They realize there's something special about these visitors, so they go get all this food. They gather it up, and they're sitting there, and one of the visitors says this to Abraham. He says, where is Sarah, your wife? She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. And I, I love that interaction. I think it gives us a little piece of, of God's character as well, but I also think that gives us a lot of reassurance as parents. right? I don't know about you, but in my household, I have heard this conversation quite a bit. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, you didn't. Yes, you did. And I don't know if maybe you've ever heard that, but I've heard that. And so when I read that, it just gave me encouragement that my kids are just godly, right? They're just, they're just following the character of God. God called Sarah out, so my kids were doing the same thing. So that should maybe give us some encouragement as parents. But for the first time, we see Sarah's side of this. 
And Sarah's doubting as well, going, God, this can't happen. Right? This isn't going to happen. I am too old. Abraham's too old. We see her side of it. So we pick up the story back in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. So after all these years, God comes through just as he promised he would. Right? Just as he said he would, he came through. So now we're going to go back to that story that I started out. And that's the background of this. This isn't just a son. This is a son that resembles this covenant, this promise that God gave Abraham. And we read all that struggles of doubt and an old age, and yet God provided. He, was, he provided this miracle. So this is not just uh, his son. This is God's promise to Abraham. That he's going to bless him and many nations. And now we see God saying to give that up. So you can see the tension that Abraham would face now, and it says the son that he loved, because that's the background of who that was. So we're going to go back to our story in Genesis 22, verse picking it up where we left off. It says, The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little bit farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abram placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders and while he carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. There's so much in those verses. And at first we see, the very first thing he says, the next morning. God said, Abraham, I want you to give up, sacrifice your son that you love so much. And it says the next morning, Abraham got up and left. He went with it. And I don't know what that night would have been like if that was a sleepless night, a night that Abraham wrestled saying, God, are you sure? This is a, this is a call that if Abraham, you really wanted to make sure you heard right. right? And so he maybe wrestled with that. But it says the next morning they got up and on a three-day journey, those three days, I can't imagine what Abraham was feeling like. But wrestling with this thought of God, like, you want to change your mind? But Abraham kept on going. And I love his faith. And he's like, God's going to provide. And he tells his servants, we're going to go worship, but we'll be back. He had faith that God would provide. So as the story goes on, he went and he built the altar and he built ready for the sacrifice. He put the wood on it. He laid his son down. And just as he was ready to sacrifice his son, God said, stop. It's like, Abraham, stop. You have proven that you would not even withhold your son from me. You've proven nothing is too tight that you're going to hold on to that you would not give up for me. You've passed the test. Stop. And Abraham looks up, and there's a ram in the bushes, and they get it, and God did provide, and they sacrificed that. Man, what a testament of, of Abraham being willing to give up everything. This one son that God had promised that he was going to give him Yet he was still willing 
to give that up. So what does this mean for you and for me? I go back to our sermon title this morning of being, what is God asking of you? What is God asking of you to maybe give up? Something that you have that is valuable. Remember, it's easy to give up those things that we don't have much value to us. But what about your job? Something that you value. What about your comfort? What could it be that you really actually have value to that you're like, God, you can have everything but this. What if you'd be asking for you to give that up? I think one of the reasons it's so hard is because we have a limited view. We have a limited view of what God may ask us to do. When we pick up the story this morning of Abraham, he was inside. All right? He was inside, possibly inside his tent. And he's hanging out, and we come across Abraham. He was having a pity party on himself. Right? He was saying, God, I'm old. God, I don't even have a son. He's like, what good can I be? What reward would you even give me? I'm going to have to give my heir to a servant. Right? He could only see through his limited view. He couldn't see anything beyond his own situation. Right? It was all about him, his age. It was not about what God could do. So I don't know what it's about for you. What limited view do you have that is holding you back from trusting God? Because what do we see God do? God didn't leave Abraham inside. He said, Abraham, step outside. To come outside. In the story we see, Abraham steps outside. And God says, Abraham, look up. Would you love him? You see, Abraham stops and he, and he looks up and God says, almost like a dare, he's like, I dare you, just, just try to count the stars. Try to count the stars that are all across this sky. Guess what? That's how many descendants you're going to have. That's how I'm going to bless you. And it, what was Abraham's response? It said he believed. He was in his little bubble, in his limited view. It was self-pity. It was all about him not trusting God. God calls him out of the tent. And he says, look up. Look up. See the picture that I'm painting. You can't see it inside in your limited view. But trust me. I'm painting a bigger picture than that you can see. But you need to step out of your little self pity your little bubble and trust me and that's what Abraham did so how about for you how about for me what little bubble are we trapped in with our limited of you saying God I can't give this up because dot 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 and God says step out of the tent step out of the tent and look up and see that I am painting a bigger picture than you can see right now and you need to trust me you need to trust that I got this And can we step out and be like Abraham and say, I trust you. I trust you with whatever that may be for you this morning. Whatever that you feel like maybe you're holding on to that God has talked to you, has asked you to let go and you need to trust him in. The band came up and we're going to close this part of the service by singing that song, Waymaker, again. And the part says he's a way maker. He provided a way. Miracle worker. In the story of Abraham, he provided a way. He provided the miracle. And it says promise keeper. He kept his promise to Abraham. Light in the darkness. And that part says, my God, that is who you are. Abraham claked a statement that says, God, this is who you are and I'm going to trust you. How about you?
How about me? Can we say those same things and believe it like Abraham did? It says, God, I don't see it. I don't understand how this is all going to happen. But I believe that this is who you are. And so I'm willing to trust you. Because my God, that is who you are.